Well, good morning, church. I'm really, uh, really glad to be here with you. My name is Mark. If you don't know me, I pastor the Cedar Lake campus, which is quite a joy to do. Um, and so I bring you greetings from them. Also, uh, greetings from my family. So my wife, Jen, my daughter, Avery, Quinn, and Presley. So house full of girls. That's what I live in. Uh, and it's awesome. So, so glad to be able to be here with you this morning. And I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take your Bible and to turn to Proverbs 26. Okay, Proverbs 26. And while you're turning there, you may or may not know that we have been going through the book of Proverbs in the summer here. And so it's been great. We've been seeing some practical things. And uh, one of the sermons that Pastor Steve shared, he really got into three characters that we see in the book of Proverbs. And so you might remember this. And he talked about these three characters, right? He talked about the fool, he talked about the wise person, and he talked about those that are simple. So three characters. And really, in the book of Proverbs, these are the three characters that we see time and time again. But this morning, we get to see a new character. And this character is very interesting, and he is called the sluggard, right? The sluggard. Now... I am assuming that most of you know what a sluggard is, but I see a couple younger people, and it's a funny word. When I was a kid and I heard the sluggard talked about in church, I thought it was a baseball bat, like the Louisville slugger, and it turns out I was way off. (laughs) But the sluggard is the person who is lazy. They are slow. They don't want to work. They find excuses to get out of work. And uh, if you want to picture them this way, think of like syrup that is slowly oozing out of a bottle when it's cold, okay? Sluggish. That's what the sluggard is. And so we see this new character called the sluggard, and we'll see him throughout the book of Proverbs. So this morning, uh, we get to consider this character. Now, the sluggard is really just a particular type of fool. Again, it's the wise person, the fool, and the simpleton in the book of Proverbs. And so when we look at the, at the sluggard, he is the fool from a different angle. So we're kind of looking at the fool a different way. And maybe a sluggard isn't quite yet a full-fledged fool, but if you continue in that sluggardry, you will end up a fool like that. So this is really the foolish person. And I know that too, because as you look throughout the book of Proverbs, the, the Proverbs on the sluggard are interspersed throughout all these proverbs on the fool. So I think that's what's, what's telling, what I'm learning by that is that sloth is foolishness. Sloth is foolishness. Giving in to slothfulness will lead you into full-fledged foolery. Okay, so that's where, it, that's where it heads. And so this morning I want to start with this portrait of the sluggard. And then we're going to consider a very different portrait. Because in the book of Proverbs we have the sluggard and then we have somebody that is the opposite of the sluggard. We have the diligent person. And so as we look at these two portraits, we're going to learn what does wisdom look like in our workplace or in the work that we do throughout our house. So it's going to be a little bit like that comic strip from the old magazine. Any of you uh, Highlights fans? When you were a kid, you read the Highlights magazine? I think it still exists. Somebody's really excited. Highlights. Remember the little, the little, the little uh, comic strip? Goofus and Gallant. I love that thing, you know, because I was one of those people-pleasing kids, kind of a little self-righteous guy. So I'd read Goofus, and I'd be like, yeah, 
what a sucker. And then I'd be gallant. I'd be like, yeah, that's what I'm going to be like, you know. But we're going to look at the, we're going to look at the goofus, basically, and then we're going to look at gallants. So let's start this morning looking at the sluggard. Who is the sluggard? Well, first of all, he is the poster boy for foolishness. And I say poster boy because if we read throughout Proverbs, he is, he's mocked. He's kind of like the, one, the fool that we put up there and we can just laugh at because he's so foolish. It's kind of like those um, villains in the kids' movies that you just have to laugh at, like the wet bandits in Home Alone. They're just so ridiculous. They're like poster boys of foolishness. They, you find yourself laughing. They're so foolish. And so when we come to the sluggard and we read, starting here in Proverbs 26, we're going to see a comedic element. It's kind of so sad it's funny, but remember, it's sad. So read with me. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. And notice the way the scripture talks about the sluggard. Verse 13 through 16. The sluggard says there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. Verse 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. And the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So notice the kind of the sarcasm of the, book, uh, of the book of Proverbs here. And the author is helping us see this foolish person, this sluggard, in a comedic way. So verse 13, I mean, he's ridiculous. He's making up ridiculous excuses that, I mean, is there a line on Main Street? Yeah, probably not. He's making things up. He's saying, oh, there might be a lion out there. What if this happens? I can't get out of bed because I might get eaten by a lion. It's fabricating ridiculous excuses. And some people work so hard to get out of work, right? Like my parents used to say, Mark, you have worked so hard to get out of cleaning your room. You could have had it done by now. You ever say that to your kids or ever hear that, right? And, and this, this man is, he doesn't lack imagination. He doesn't lack ability. He lacks discipline, And so he's got great ideas, but he just can't get out of bed. And verse 14 says, he loves relaxation and ease so much. Here's the picture. He's like glued to his bed like a hinge, like a door on a hinge, just tosses and turns. I should really get out of bed. Oh, turn this way, turn this way. I mean, there's a lot of motion, but no production. Nothing's happening. (laughs) All the energy is just back and forth. He's not doing anything. Really, he... Verse 16 says, uh, actually verse 15, let's go to that first. He's so lazy that he can't feed himself. So eventually he did get out of bed. And now he goes to eat, but it's so much work to bring the cereal spoon to his mouth. He's like, oh, no, it's just not worth it, you know. And the the picture is he's going to die from hunger because he's so lazy he doesn't want to feed himself. So you can see we're we're kind of given a character that is a a, a, a bit of a laughter to it. It brings some laughter. And then verse 16, notice, he knows better than everyone else, including these seven wise men, these, these seven advisors. I know better than them. And a lot of times a sluggish person, a lazy person knows everything, but they don't do anything. And really, he should just stay in his lane and get out of bed. Just start there. You know, he should put on his Nikes and just do it. Just do what you need to do, get out of bed, and stop thinking you know everything. Now, I think we're probably becoming a progressively lazier culture. Would you agree with that? It's all the people that are on the older side. They're like, amen, you know. 
<laughs> but I think that probably our laziness might be growing in proportion to our technology. Like I was a kid in the 80s and I remember the clapper. Remember that? Clap on, clap off. Yeah, uh, we don't need to finish that. Okay. And uh, I, we, know, we decided that it was too much work to go turn off the, the light at the end of the night. And sometimes it feels that way. And uh, so you clap and the lights turn off or on. And I've wanted a clapper like, for a long time. Never got one. But then we decided that it was too much work to clap. So we just say, okay, Siri, okay, Google, whatever, and the lights turn on. Right? That, that's where we, that's where, and I think one day I'll just stare at a light convincingly <laughs> and it'll turn off because I don't know I want it to turn off. But this is the, the world we live in, the smart assistant world where everything is just by speech. And if the movie Wally is prophetic, we're in trouble, right? So, so as, we, as we find more ways and more technology to, to uh, lessen our work, I think we got to be careful because our American work ethic that's, you know, kind of like woven into our DNA might be slowly eroding. So we, we should take note to these passages. I think that we all like our comfort, especially in this country, Right? Now, the sluggard is ridiculous, but I want, and we laugh at him, but I want you to not to miss the danger that he's in, because it's not just a joke. He is seriously in danger. If you read chapter 26 in the context, we see fools are senseless, they're helpless, they're hopeless. We're not supposed to trust them, and they should receive no honor. That's all in the text around it. So it's not, it's funny, but it's not, because this fool this sluggard is in danger. The danger is related to the fact that the sluggard is destroyer's brother, it says, or destroyer's sidekick. So what is, what is the sluggard? He is the poster boy for foolishness, but he's also the sidekick of destroyer. Where destruction goes, he goes. Proverbs 18.9 says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Now, I think this is a crucial verse in Proverbs to, to understand what the sluggard is like. Because it doesn't seem this way, right? Like laziness doesn't seem that destructive. But in the context here, Proverbs 18, the verse I just read there, it's all about words, how you use your words. And it talks about people that have a lot of words. And I think we come to this verse and it's like, you might have a lot of speech or words, but you have no action. You're not doing anything. And it says that he's slack in his work. That word slack, it has the picture of like letting your hands drop. So if you're holding something really heavy at your job or something and you're trying to hold it up and as you, as you, you kind of give up, you, you, you leave the job half finished, you walk away from it and to do a job half done or, or poorly could actually destroy the project itself. To leave it like nine tenths done could actually ruin the project. I had a lot of uh, interesting jobs when I was in Bible college and seminary, and one of those was I got a chance to work at a concrete shop, a custom concrete place. So we made like statuary and, and car stops and pedestals, and it was interesting, okay? And one of the things we made was, was car stops. So we'd pour the concrete into these molds, right? And we'd have it on the table, and we'd have to apply vibration. That was the last step. And if you didn't apply vibration or do it long enough, and I learned this the hard way, what you had was all these air bubbles trapped in the, in the concrete, and then it would not only probably be rougher and not smooth, um, it would break apart. The integrity was, was, was compromised. And so sometimes not finishing a job or doing it halfway or slack in a slack way could destroy it altogether. 
Now, it's tempting to take shortcuts when you're working, right? I mean, I think we can all admit this. Like, whatever your job is, it's very tempting to take shortcuts, like these construction workers, this road crew that decided that it would be easier to just, you know, paint around the branch rather than move the branch. And I, I mean, you got to get off the truck, you have to move the branch, maybe get a chainsaw out, I don't know. You know, whatever your job is, it's so tempting, particularly if no one's watching, if it's not permanently like that. <laughs> you know, it's tempting to take shortcuts, to leave a job half finished or half done or poorly done. I want you to look at Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. So I'm going to flip over there. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. And this is interesting because the author is on a walk you know, like the summer walk that Brad talked about. And he, he walks by this home of the sluggard. And I want you to notice how being a sluggard can destroy. So, and also I want you to notice the parallelism. Because we've talked about that. I know at our campus I've talked about the parallelism in the book of Proverbs. And just notice, I just want to read verse 30 to start with. I passed by, this is the author, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And so from that verse, you can learn that the field is a vineyard and that the sluggard is a person who lacks sense. That's helpful to understand. You dig into what does it mean to lack sense. And so you get to know what, what is this sluggard like. And the, the, word, the phrase lacking sense, it's used throughout Proverbs. It, it has the idea of an empty heart or an empty mind. There is not wisdom in the heart. There is not wisdom in the mind. They lack heart. They lack wisdom. I think of that phrase, the idle mind is the devil's workshop. You know, if there's no wisdom in your heart, then you're susceptible. And now let's read verse 31 through 34 of the text. So remember, he's looking at this vineyard of the man who lacks sense, the sluggard. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and I considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So here we have a man who owns a vineyard, but he has let it go. He's done nothing to it. And now what does it do? It, it, it's starting to, to be overgrown. It's not producing grapes. What we have here is the law of entropy. What do you need to do for the law of entropy to take effect? Just do nothing, right? You do nothing and things fall apart. <laughs> if you decide to not care for your vineyard, not maintain it, it will eventually not produce grapes. I knew a guy one time that thought it was optional to change the oil on his SUV. And he never changed it, not even one time. You know what happened to that engine, right? Blew up. <laughs> Didn't last as long as he wanted it to. I want you to notice the author's thoughtfulness here. So he walks by, he sees the overgrown vineyard, and he doesn't just think, wow, what a loser. Like, I'm glad my yard looks better than his. It's not what he does. He looks at it, and it says that he actually ponders it. He considers it. He looks, and he receives instruction. That right there is wisdom. That's the opposite of the person who lacks heart, that lacks sense, that has not taken wisdom, and, and it's settled in their heart or their mind. This is somebody who pauses when they see things and they say, God, what am I supposed to learn from this? And so he considers it and, and then he comes to a lesson and this is his lesson. 
I think what we learn from verse 33 is that laziness is so, so subtle. Just a little sleep, just a, a little slumber. And then all of a sudden, this little bit of rest and laziness over time compounds and it, become, it snowballs and pretty soon there's this monster of sloth. And it comes upon you, poverty comes upon you like a thief and like a criminal. But in the beginning, it was just a little, a little more and a little more. So the moral is that laziness is a subtle destroyer. It's a subtle destroyer. Proverbs 15, 19. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. And I think this verse is interesting because we would normally think of the way of a sluggard as an easier way than the hard work, right? I mean, it's easier to cut corners and not work hard than it is to be diligent. But the scripture is telling us that it's actually a hedge of thorns, that the way of the sluggard is actually in the long run harder. It's harder to be lazy, not initially, but eventually. So it, here's a deceptive thing. It seems so, so much easier to, to, to not do the project, right? But in the end, it's going it's, it's gonna, to it's gonna come back to bite you. So I think about it this way. Laziness is moderate pleasure now and then great pain later. Or if you think about discipline it's, uh, and diligence, it's moderate pain now and great pleasure later. Later we'll get the rewards. And that could be said of the way of the fool in general. Just the way of the fool is pleasure now, pain later. The way of the wise is it can be painful now, but pleasure will come. So here's the portrait of a sluggard. He's poster boy for foolishness. He's a destroyer. What's the alternative? How does God want us to work? And how should the gospel apply to our work? So here's the main idea. You guys can write this down if you want to come away and remember what the sermon was about. Christians should be the hardest and the holiest workers of all. We as believers should be the hardest and the holiest workers of all. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll see a different portrait of a worker. And the, the, the term that Proverbs gives him is a, the diligent. So I want you to really grasp this, though, because I, I fear that a cursory reading of the book of Proverbs may give you the wrong idea of the diligent. So we're going to look at two different aspects here. What is the diligent like? First of all, and most obviously, the diligent is a hard worker. And we get that because to us, diligent means hard worker. Like that's part of the definition. But it involves hard work. And if you read through and you take every verse on work in Proverbs, the overwhelming theme is diligence. And you'll see it time and time again. Let's just look at one of them, Proverbs 6, verse 6 through 11. Here's one you've probably heard of before, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. And the author here is speaking to the sluggard. And he says this, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So you'll notice that verse 10 and 11 is word for word what we saw in chapter 24. Same thing. 
But he's warning, the author's warning the sluggard of the sleeping giant that is sloth. He begs the sluggard, consider the ant. Look at the ant. And so when we look at the ant, what do we, what do we learn? How can we stop and gain wisdom? Verse 7, if you glance at your Bible, if you have it open, the diligent are self-motivated. The ant doesn't need a, you know, a boss. He doesn't need somebody telling him what to do. Without any of that, he is self-motivated to do the hard work. Now, some of you in here, and some of us are more self-motivated, and some of us struggle to be self-motivated. In just a moment, I want to give you some really uh, amazing motives for work, for going to work, for doing your work. Whether you're a real type A person or not, I hope that those motives will be something that will drive you in the work that you do. But we have to be motivated from internally some kind of motive because it's not always enough, the paycheck. It's not always enough, you know, trying to work your way up the ladder. There's times where we lack motivation. Where are we going to get that? Look at that in a moment. But verse 8, we see that the diligent, the ant here, is also tenacious. I say that because he's doing the hardest work in the hardest time, the summer. And the sun is beating down, but he knows he's got to work. He's got to work hard. And he, he perseveres. He's got this tenacity about him. Because you know what? Sometimes you have to do the hardest work at the hardest time. But it must be done then, and it can't wait. Verse 8 also shows us that the diligent is, they're timely. So, so he, he has seasons of hard work here, and you see that, you know, what, what the ant's doing. Preparing the bread in the summer, gathering the food in the harvest. Those are appropriate times to do that. There's a time to work really hard, and there's a time to rest. Did you know that ants actually rest? I've never seen an ant sleep, and some people think that ants don't sleep. But uh, apparently uh, the queen ants take long sleep sessions, and the worker ants take little power naps, real quick little naps, but they do rest. And there are times that are very appropriate for that hard work, and then there are times where rest is appropriate. And if you get those mixed up, you can get into trouble. Now, when we talk about the diligent worker, the hard worker, I kind of think it, I think it appeals to our American sensibilities, because somewhere in us is that idea of work hard and prosper. Like, that's what I'm here. That's what, you know, people come to this country because they want to prosper and they want to make it, you know. And I want you to see something here, that there needs to be even higher motivations for work than just success, than just the money or the paycheck. There needs to be a higher motive because there are some extremely hardworking people in the world today who are godless who are wicked, and they're hard workers, but honestly, they're some of the most damaging humans on the planet because they're driven and they're diligent, but they lack integrity and they hurt other people. So Proverbs instructs us to be a hard worker who's also a holy worker. We should be the hardest and holiest workers in our workplace. So let's look at the diligent as the holy worker. And what this comes down to is our heart our motives. Why do you get up and go to work tomorrow? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> What's going to drive you? What, what is going to motivate you? We all struggle with work frustration. I mean, I don't care what your job is. Even as a pastor, like there are days where you get frustrated. Why is that? It's because of the fall, because of the futility of work after sin entered the world. So all of us deal with that. We all lack motivation sometimes because of the futility of our jobs. 
If you want to dig into this, you can read later Genesis 1 through 3. Because here in the very beginning of Scripture, we have God creating the heavens and earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created work. This might surprise you, but the word work shows up before sin in Genesis 3. Because work isn't sinful in and of itself. God gave us work, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're, they're cultivating it. They're keeping it. They're doing work. But the moment that sin enters and Adam and Eve rebel, it fundamentally changes. Work is no longer pure joy. I would dare say none of you have a job that is pure joy, right? Because of the fall, because of sin entering the world. So now we, we work by the sweat of our brow. It's tough. It's burdensome. And sometimes it feels pointless. Like I have no idea why I'm doing this project. I have no idea or it just seems like it's not accomplishing what you want it to accomplish. And the book of Ecclesiastes does a great job of poetically lamenting this. Right? So if you only get your, your, your theology on work from Proverbs, you don't consider Ecclesiastes or the rest of the Bible, I think you might walk away with a utopian view of work. I'll just work really hard, I'll handle my finances well, and I'll prosper and be rich. Well, Ecclesiastes actually says that work is vexation and futile. So, so which is it? Is, is hard work rewarding or is hard work a vexation? Which is true? Yes, both, right? Both. And if you've had more than one job, you know that work can be even simultaneously sometimes rewarding and vexing because we live in a fallen world. So the truth of the matter is you're not always going to feel fulfilled by your job. And some of you are in college or getting ready for graduate work, and you know your whole life's ahead of you, and I don't want to burst the bubble. But it's not going to be pure joy. Even if God, by His mercy, gives you a job that you love, there are days you don't love it. And that's just the reality of it, because even if you love your vocation, there's work that you have to do outside of your vocation, like yard work, like motherhood, like being a parent, like these things are, you don't even get paid for those things. And some days they seem futile. But in the midst of all this frustration, all this sometimes meaninglessness, we can find inner motivation that carries us through the work week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the days that we are struggling to go to work or struggling at work. How can we be the hardest and the holiest workers of all? Well, this is how. Diligence is an expression of our love for God. You see, this is, this is different. This is where biblical wisdom stands head and shoulders above conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says, go to work, work hard, save your money, retire. Biblical wisdom says, you're there for a whole higher calling than just making money, than just being successful. And that's kind of good news because some of us don't make as much money as we want to. And some of us aren't as successful as we thought we would be. And you still have motivation because God has put you there. And you can use your work as a way to, to love God. And here's what I mean by that. If work is part of God's original design before, before sin, then there is an inherent dignity in it. There's inherent dignity in our work. Have you ever stopped to think, why did God make work? Like, God could have skipped right to this era with, like, smart assistant stuff and just... Adam and Eve could have sat there and said stuff and things would have happened. But he, for some reason, put work into place. It's part of his design. Why? 
Well, I believe it's because on the very first pages of Scripture, we see God as the worker. Remember? Each day, God creates something by his power, by his, by his voice, and then he surveys it. And he says what? It is good. So he looks at his work and he says it's good. And then, of course, he rests. But God is the worker. And I look at that and I think, God made us in his image, right? And so he wants us to reflect his image as a good worker. So when we work, we're loving God. We're basically saying this, God, I love you. You are beautiful. You've created this world, which is beautiful. Well, sin has marred it. Sin has messed it up. But there's still beauty in the world. And as we go to work, whatever we're doing, we're actually reflecting his image because we're making beautiful things out of the world that exists. We're cultivating it. The Bible says subdue the earth, cultivate it. Try, basically try to reorder the created materials in such a way that it showcases the beauty of God. We don't create anything. We don't speak anything into existence. We don't have that power. But we take the things that God created and we arrange them in a way that we mitigate the effects of the fall, mitigate the effects of sin. Here's what happens. If you took, if, let's just say you take your property, your yard, and you decided, you know what, I'm just going to stop taking care of it, I'm going to start mowing the lawn, stop weeding, stop, just let it go. It's going to progressively become more and more a clearer picture of the fall <laughs> until it looks like the Malcolm in the Middle uh, yard or something. It's just, eventually it's going to look like, you know, oh, there's how sin affects the, the earth. But if you decide the best you can, try to care for it, try to keep up on it, what you're saying, again, even as you weed, I hate weeding. I hate it. Like, I, I never, I, oh, I didn't get the root. Oh, well, at least I can't see it for another week. Um, but as, even as you're doing that thing and you're just mundane task, what you're saying is, God, your creation is beautiful. I want to reflect your glory. I want to love you through even the work that I do. And I have to be honest, some of you guys are like rock star lawn manicurists. And some of us just kind of get by. You know, barely. Um, but what, how, when we're doing that, remember, there's a higher motivation. Not just like, oh, my wife gave me this list. Better get it done. No, we serve a God. And this God is beautiful. And this God's given us a creation that's beautiful. So whether it's your paid job or your, your project list or motherhood or being a dad, you're saying, God, this world is beautiful and I want to show that through my work. So there's something redemptive about work after the fall. There's actually a piece of it that's kind of even richer after the fall, since sin is here now. We're, we're trying to, to mitigate the effects of the fall and proclaim God's glory. So diligent work is a mark of a wise person. But here's the really important thing to note. This is not just hard work. This is holy work. This is work for God. This is work for others. Otherwise, if we just read Proverbs and say, oh, I've got to be diligent, can't procrastinate, work hard, and we forget about our heart and our motives. We're no better than the slick businessman who builds an empire for himself. No, we're called to something even greater. We're, we're called to have integrity. Here's what the wisdom in Proverbs teaches us, that diligent work is tempered by integrity, love, contentment, rest. If you have diligence but you have no integrity... You have worldly ambition. 
If you have diligence but you have no love, it's going to lead to you using people, even in your diligence, to get what you want. If you have diligence but you don't have contentment, you're going to be greedy. If you have diligence but no rest, it leads to burnout and to pride because you think it's all on you. In other words, unbridled diligence equals foolishness. Proverbs 16, 8 and 11 is one such verse. There's, there's a number of them in Proverbs, but just notice it says, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are His work. And here's the thing. Sometimes at work when you follow that verse, you don't get as far as you would if you disobeyed it. But you're there for a higher reason. You're there to bring Him glory. Diligence is an expression of our love for God, and it's also a, an expression of our love for others, for other human beings. Even the most mundane job, what, whatever it is, it can bring blessing and provision to others. You could be a part of a, an assembly line in a factory. You could be in healthcare. If you contribute in any way to society, then you are blessing and helping other human beings. It's a way to express love for others. We've probably all had that experience, right, of, of the customer service individual who went above and beyond, and you were just like, wow, that was weird. <laughs> they were really nice. <laughs> and we, we, of course, had the, the, the opposite, too. We've had really bad experiences. It can make your day. It can ruin your day. We care for others through our work, whatever we do, and our work matters. Proverbs 10, 26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. So we could preach a sermon from just this verse about the sluggard and call it how to lose friends and annoy people. Right? Be a sluggard. Because people don't like sluggards. And if you're an employer, you know you don't like sluggards. Uh, chapter 26.10 in Proverbs says that the person who hires a fool is like the archer who shoots everyone. I mean, think about that. Like, the sluggard hurts other people. And if you're in management or you, you, you are a boss of somebody, man, you know this to be true. Our work affects other people. Your boss, your coworkers, your family. Here's, here's the truth. The sluggards are very selfish. They're only thinking about their, what they want. They're not thinking about how it hurts other people. Sometimes our shoddy work can even bring danger to somebody. I watched a special this past week on the uh, Challenger Space shuttle explosion. I remember being in school and watching it. I was one of those kids, you know, and um, it was tragic. And it all comes down to like an O-ring and the temperatures being too low and really a statistical mistake. The statisticians, however you say that, they made a mistake. They said they can, we can fly this and it'll be okay. And they were wrong. And our work can actually hurt people. And even if you're not a rocket scientist, whatever you do, it affects people. It really does. So as we do our jobs with dignity and diligence, we're actively serving people. We're loving other people. As I conclude here, a couple thoughts for you. I want you to consider this as far as practicality and how this applies to your job. And I want us to be careful not to dismiss the sluggard as simply ridiculous. Like, yeah, that guy is funny. Wow. Because there's a little bit of sluggard in all of us. Right? All of us struggle with this. All of us like rest. Who doesn't like the rest? Who doesn't like pleasure? Who doesn't like relaxation? What areas could you be struggling with when it comes to laziness? Maybe it's laziness in our spiritual disciplines and pursuing God. And we know, 
I, I need to seek your face, God. I need to depend on you. Maybe it's procrastination that gets you into trouble. This whole sermon, you're like, I'm not lazy. I'm busy. Yeah, but are you busy with the right things? Are we busy because we waited too long? There's all kinds of things going on here. Too many activities for the kids, uh, but your family's missing the most important thing. Or too much time on your smartphone or too much Netflix or... Let's address sloth when it's little, right? A little sleep, a little slumber. Before it becomes this monster that apparently destroys us. I read, read an article this week about a family that had a pet yak. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where this was, but <laughs> they got a pet yak. Chewy was his name. And they, they loved Chewy and they cuddled with Chewy and they played with Chewy. And Chewy would get a little rough with them. And it was like, ah. Well, Chewy grew up to be over 1,000 pounds. And Chewy started getting rough, and he was just playing, but he was hurting people. And uh, in the end, it's kind of a sad story. They had to get rid of Chewy, and they had to put him down because he was, he was actually hurting people. And the, the point in all that is, like, it's little. It seems so benign, and laziness is just like, yeah, I just, you know, it's not a big deal. Yeah, but if you let it go for long enough, it could actually destroy you. So you have to deal with it. Young people, I know it's summer and I'm not supposed to talk about school. Like my, my kids would be upset if they knew I was talking about school, okay? But the school year is coming. Where are you tempted to cheat instead of doing the hard work of studying? That's a real temptation. It always has been. It is just as much today with all the technology. How are you this year going to say, I'm going to have integrity with my work at school? Parents, what about parenting? It's hard to stay the course and endure, right? How are you doing with that? Is there... Parts of you that are a sluggard when it comes to discipline your kids or being a, a father or mother. What about in the church? Have you found a place to roll up your sleeves and, and shoulder kingdom work and help out where we, we reach people with the gospel and people are discipled? So where's the Holy Spirit convicting you today? Maybe it's on the hard work side. You say, yeah, I, I really tend to struggle with discipline. And, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm probably not a good reflection of God who is the worker. I'm, I'm kind of lazy. Maybe you're really, really disciplined, but you struggle with your love for God and others and integrity in the workplace, and God's calling you to repent from that. We have to remember, we represent a God. We represent a God who is the worker, and we represent Jesus Christ, who is the hardest and holiest worker that there ever has been. Think about Jesus. I want you to think about his work. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured, he finished the course, and he did the hard work to secure our salvation. In John 17, 4, Jesus is preaching, he's praying to the Father, and he says, I've accomplished all the work that you've given me to do. He was done. He'd worked hard, and now, literally, his work had come to an end, and he was able to enjoy the fruits of his labor, which he says in John 17 is fellowship with you, my Father, and fellowship with the people you've given me. Jesus worked hard out of love for his Father, for God, and his love for other people. That's why Jesus is wisdom. Because every part of wisdom, every shade of wisdom is fulfilled in Jesus, even when it comes to hard work. And this is where the lessons from Goofus and Gallant fall short, okay? Because it's not just about right behavior, 
It's about more than that. It's about, and Proverbs isn't just about shrewdness. And sometimes people think it's just that. No. This is about something different. We serve a Savior who has finished the critical work of our salvation. And he has rested. And he's right now at the right hand of the Father. He makes us his children, right? We're no longer slaves. We're his sons and daughters. And he's freed us to go to work, to be the hardest and the holiest workers of all because of our motivation for him, our motivation for other people. So yes, work hard, be diligent, but that work has to come from a heart that wants to love God and love others. Anything less is skill. The Proverbs talks about skill, but it's not wisdom. It's not wisdom. So as we go, we need to go as workers who have a higher motivation, workers who work hard and work in a holy way.